0: So, as we start out this morning, I want to show you some pictures of our family. So, do we have them? That's Jamie, our oldest daughter, when she was a baby. Next, Jill, when she was a baby. Are they not cute? Most of you don't know our kids, so I thought I would just show them to you. And then the next picture is them together, and then keep going. You can tell the quality the quality of pictures from the Sears photo studio back in the um, early, in the late 70s. Okay. <clears throat> so, and this is the rest of our family. So, the table that you're looking at right here, that is what has been produced. And uh, their children, coming from our children, and that is our family. And I just wanted you to see them. They're really amazing, and we love them, and I am the most blessed mom around. I will just got to tell you. So, motherhood is not for the faint of heart, but neither is life. So, guys, you get to come into this today, too. Um, We are going to, the quote that the title of our sermon today is, For Such a Time as This. And this has been rumbling around in my heart for quite a while, which leads me to ask the question, have you ever wondered if I'm here for such a time as this, what's my purpose Why am I here? Because knowing why we're here and knowing that life has some purpose actually gives some value for all the crazy things that we experience in life. We need to believe that what we're going through either is designed or allowed by a really good, good heavenly father. Can I just say that again? He is a good, good heavenly heavenly father. And I can't see those of you over there. So I'm going to move this. Hold on. I can't see that side of of the church here. So that what he's working out in us is going to produce good results in us. Ultimately, we have to get to that place where we believe that God is really in control and that things are not just happening around us. You know, Doug and I met with a financial advisor about a month ago, and he asked us an interesting question. He said, do you, what do you think is the most important question that you need to have an answer to when you retire? Uh, I don't know. We gave him a couple of wrong, quote unquote, wrong answers. And he said that the studies show that the key to longevity is that we realize that we still have a purpose. We have a reason for being here. We have a reason for getting up in the morning. Our life isn't over. Everyone wants to have an impact. And while he was applying that to our life season, I'm gonna ask you today, do you know why you're here? So before we get to the story of the book of Esther, I wanna know what's driving you each day to get up and go to work. Is it just that paycheck? Or students, the reason you go to school, I know you're required, but might there be something more? Maybe it's because God has placed you there, placed you there for a reason. And maybe you're there at work or at school to show your coworkers or your classmates what Jesus looks like in the flesh. Maybe that's why we're getting up every day. And if we get up with that purpose in mind, maybe it's gonna make a difference on how we live our life. Some reasons aren't obvious to us, but some are. And tell the time, can I have the lights up just a little bit so I can read my notes? What's that? Tilt it. Tilt it. Oh, that works. Never mind the lights were fine it was the tilt. Okay, some reasons are obvious, some aren't. But eventually we're going to know the why if we quit if we continue to pursue what God has for us. So this is a little thing really, but as happens every year before I have the privilege of speaking on Mother's Day. Woohoo! Um, I was in Mexico on a mission trip a, a couple of months ago, and while I was chasing a soccer ball to stop it as it was rolling down a hill, I slipped on a bunch of gravel, and I just ripped up my arm. Now, it looks really good right now. There was a possibility I could not have worn a sleeveless shirt for the rest of my life, but I did heal from that. And there was a lady on that uh, journey with us, on that trip with us, who was a critical care nurse. And she took the time to take, to, to First, dig out all the gravel that had embedded itself in my arm, which was really painful, by the way. And then she took me to the pharmacy, and we got the bandaging material, and we got the antibiotics. And, and she fixed me up, and she cared for me for the rest of the week. It actually happened really at the early part of our, of our trip. So I was fully bandaged for the rest of the trip. You know, I found myself thinking, maybe she was there for me for such a time as this. And I think that we need to start seeing God in those everyday occurrences of our life. We don't know how God's going to use us, but if we live with our eyes open, he will show us and he will direct our paths. We have to begin to see that something good is going to be the result of all that we are going through. Because I don't believe that things just happen if we're a follower of Christ, And I hope the book of Esther this morning is going to help us give some insight into what life can look like if we begin to say, I am here for such a time as this. Now, I'm going to do a really brief overview of it. There are full Um, studies that are done on the book of Esther, and I'm just going to give you a really brief overview of it. So here's here's some background on the book of Esther. Like many of the Old Testament books, Esther is an anonymous work, but it was maybe written by someone like Mordecai who lived through it. It belongs to the period after the Babylonian exile, when Persia had replaced Babylon as the ruling power, and it was ruled by King Xerxes, and the book of Esther tells us how a Jewish girl became the queen of Persia and saved her people from a plot to destroy them. She is assisted in this by Mordecai, her cousin and guardian, and Esther is part of a much larger story that runs all the way from Abraham to Christ and through him to the church. How many have never read the book of Esther? Anybody here never read the book of Esther? Can I just encourage you to do that at the end? Of, you know, when you go home sometime this week, get out your Bible and read the book of Esther. It's really quite fascinating. So before we continue, let's go ahead and hold up our Bibles. And let's make our prayer declaration together. This is my Bible. God's holy word. This book is alive. And it's powerful. I read other books. But this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith that I can do all that it says I can do. I can be all it says I can be. And I can have all it says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so that I can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus name. Amen. Do you know that the only thing that is going to change your heart is knowing the truth and truth is only found in the word of God. So that's why we make that declaration every single week. So here is an overview of the first three chapters of the book of Esther, and then we're going to read the fourth chapter together. In chapter one, we see that King Xerxes wanted to display his wealth, and he decided to give a 180-day party for all of his nobles and his princes and his officials and all all the people of the province. Then he decided that wasn't enough, so he decided to give a seven-day after-party, all with an open bar and no limits on anybody. Given the propensity of mankind to overindulge, it's no no surprise that the king made a really dumb call when he invited, no, he ordered his wife, Queen Vashti, to come out and display her beauty before all that were at attendance in the party. And most commentators say that he told her to come out with nothing on, but her crown. Queen Vashti had more dignity than that, and she refused to come out and parade before a bunch of drunken men, which made the king angry. Oh, my wife does not want to show herself off like that. And he went to all of his advisors, and he said, you know what, this just can't happen. This is not appropriate for the queen to refuse anything that I say. What do I need to do with her? And he then took advice from his advisors because they told him, you know what, if you let her get away with this, it's going to be a bad example for the rest of the men in the province. And every woman's going to think that she can say no. Oh, how sad. Spoiler alert. Jesus showed the utmost respect for women. And that wouldn't have happened on his watch. He valued women which the king obviously did not. The king got rid of his wife. In chapter 2, King Xerxes regrets his decision. The poor man is now lonely. This was all part of God's plan. And it suggested that he choose another beautiful wife from all of the other amazing women in the province and throw a beauty pageant. Invite them all. Now, this was not a beauty pageant like Miss Grace Harbor. Okay? Esther was between 13 and 15 years old when she was entered into this beauty pageant by her cousin Mordecai. When Esther came into the palace, she was immediately given favor. The attendants loved her. And she had a year of beauty treatments that were given to her. And then she came before the king. And the king immediately was smitten by her and put the crown on her head. It's important to note at this point that Esther did not reveal her Jewish heritage to the king. She was just chosen to be the queen. Now, Mordecai is almost as important as Esther is in this story. He's not the hero, but his part is significant. Mordecai, her cousin, continued to keep tabs on Esther. He remained faithful to the king, and he even uncovered a plot to kill the king, which eventually he was rewarded for, and life was good for a few years until Mordecai's dedication to God became a problem. For one of the king's officials in the court. In chapter three, we see that Haman now enters the picture. Haman was a really power hungry man who got upset if he was not given the respect that he thought he deserved. So when Mordecai wouldn't bow down to Haman when he was honoring the fact that he worshiped God and only God, Haman, along with his wife, came up with a plan to kill Mordecai. But no, he was not satisfied with just killing Mordecai. He wanted to destroy the whole Jewish race. This is so much worse than me grounding my kids for life, which is the threat that Doug says that I gave to them all the time. When Mordecai heard about the edict to destroy the entire Jewish nation Here's what happened next. Let's read chapter four together. When Mordecai learned what had been done, he ripped his clothes to shreds and put on sackcloth and ashes. Then he went out into the streets of the city, crying out in loud and bitter cries. He came only as far as the king's gate, for no one dressed in sackcloth was allowed to enter the king's gate. As the king's order was posted in every province, there was loud lament among the Jews, fasting, weeping, wailing, and most of them stretched out on sackcloth and ashes. Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her. The queen was stunned. She sent fresh clothes to Mordecai so he could take off his sackcloth, but he wouldn't accept them. Esther called for Hathach, one of the royal eunuchs whom the king had assigned to wait on her, and told him to go to Mordecai and get the full story of what was happening. So Hathak went to Mordecai in the town square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him. He also told him the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to deposit in the royal bank to finance the massacre of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the bulletin that had been posted in Susa, ordering the massacre, so that he could show it to Esther when he reported back with instructions to go to the king and intercede and plead with him for her people. Hathak came back and told Esther everything Mordecai had said. Esther talked it over with Hathak and then sent him back to Mordecai with this message. Everyone who works for the king here and even in the even the people out in the provinces knows that there is a single fate for every man or woman who approaches the king without being invited. Death. The one exception is if the king extends his gold scepter, then he or she may live. And it's been 30 days now since I've been invited to come to the king. When Hathach told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai sent her this message. Don't think that just because you live in the king's house... You're the one Jew who will get out of this alive. If you persist in staying silent at a time like this, help and deliverance will arrive for the Jews from someplace else. But you and your family will be wiped out. Who knows? Maybe you were made queen for, such, for just such a time as this. Esther sent back her message to Mordecai. Go and get all the Jews living in Susa together fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, either day or night. I and my maids will fast with you. If you will do this, I'll go to the king, even though it's forbidden. If I die, I die. Mordecai left and carried out Esther's instructions. You know, sometimes we just don't do what God wants us to do until it becomes very clear that not obeying is going to be worse than doing what seems hard at the time. It was only when her cousin told her what was going to happen to her people, the Jewish people, and suggested that she go to the king and tell him she was Jewish and plead for her people, that her real purpose in the palace was realized. This is the only book in the Bible that has no mention of God in it. Interesting fun fact. Yet God was directing through all of these events. God has always, will always, use people, common people, to accomplish his will. God used a reluctant Gideon to rescue his people from the Midians, an invading army. God used Joseph, took him from the pit, placed him in the palace to be the catalyst for provision in a time of famine. God used a shoe salesman to lead a Sunday school teacher to the Lord who led Billy Graham to the Lord. Where would our world be without Billy Graham? God used Elijah, a a, a man that the Bible says is just like us, to show the power of God when he prayed, and the rain stopped for three years, then he prayed again, and it started raining. God is using our own Annie to love on a group of students, who think very differently in many ways than she does to show the love of God to them. And God used a good friend of ours, Mark Cargill, to deliver a prophetic word to us before we needed it so that we could look back on that and know that God was seeing where we were going to be at that time for such a time as this. Maybe someone ran out of gas or broke down on the side of the road And you were the one that pulled up behind them and helped them. The whole Bible and life is full of accounts like this. How God used ordinary people at just the right time, using ordinary events and sometimes extraordinary events to show himself to be great. He has always been willing to use anyone who has been willing to be used or maybe even sometimes less than willing. I don't know about you, but I know how ordinary I am. Esther, too, was ordinary until her ordinary became extraordinary. She was of a different religion than those around her. She was an orphan, a modern-day foster child. And she wasn't excited to do what needed to be done but she chose to do it. God will always prepare the way and provide what we need to get the job done if we want to know it. Mordecai was the instrument that God used because she didn't have parents. Who is God using in your life and how is God using you? Here's a life example for us. We got married in 1975 and and we met our neighbors, Wendell and Jenny Smith, who lived across the street from us. And a couple of years later, we moved back to the harbor and they moved to Kirkland to start the city church. Our friendship grew over the years, both uh, personally and through ministry connections. So fast forward from 75 to 2005. 30 years later in 2006 when we were unexpectedly let go from our previous church, Wendell and Jenny were there for us. They encouraged us, helped us, restored our soul, and helped us to start this church. They prayed for us, and they financially helped us in so many ways. One day as I was praying, the Lord dropped this thought into my heart. Maybe I put them in your life 30 years ago because you were going to need them today. Who in your life has God put into your life, into your presence, because you needed them in the future? God is always right on time with church. We don't know the future, but God does. Another story, Alexander Young, this building was closing in 2000, in the early 2000s. And Doug and I, we remember kind of feeling sad about that happening. Yet we now see that they vacated the building so that we could occupy it and use it for God's glory. There was a man who was part of the school district for whatever reason we found favor with. And he was the the one who suggested, you really need to just sell it to them if they'll buy it from us. We need to get it off of our hands. He left the school district right after we purchased the building. Maybe he was there for such a time as that. Psalm 139.16 tells us that God saw us before we were born, and every day of our life is recorded in his book. That's good to know. Every moment was laid out before a single day passed. We are not forgotten. God sees us. He will always see us, and he will always take care of us. So let's look at some qualities that I think Esther possessed that allowed her to be used by God when her time came. One, she was submitted to the godly authority in her life. There was there then and there is now safety in having a spiritual covering. That's part of why you are part of the body of Christ. It should provide us some sound counsel and protection. Now submitting doesn't mean being controlled by, or lorded over. So hopefully, ladies, you did not just cringe when I used that word because I used to cringe when I heard that word. I've since learned that trusting God, even when he's using other people, is a huge part of it. God can move anybody that he needs to move. He can move mountains. He can move people. He can change hearts. And he can change unhealthy situations. Case in point. When our older daughter was 16, she had a a boyfriend that we were not excited about her hanging around with. And as happens with teenagers, there were some conflicts that occurred in our home. And one day she announced that she was moving out of our house and she was moving into her boyfriend's house. (coughs) And uh, we kind of went, huh? We absolutely never saw that happening. And... (laughs) But... But Doug's reaction to that shocked me even more than what her statement was because he said, okay, honey, I'm going to ask you to pray about this for three days. And at the end of three days, you come and tell me what you feel like you're supposed to be doing. But if you move out, I will help you move out. I will move all your stuff. You don't get to move back into this house. When he told me what he had done, I freaked out. I said, are you got to be kidding me? In her current state, she might just do that. But he looked at me and he said, honey, trust God. Trust God. Three days later, she came back to us and she said, not only am I not moving in, I am breaking up with him. If you feel as though this is something that is what God has shown you and is not going to be good for me, I will trust you for that. godly submission doesn't hurt us. It helps and protects us. And I'm pretty sure that we would have allowed her back in the house. (laughs) Just saying. So back to Esther. When she was told about Mordecai's sackcloth and ashes, she sent him clothes to put on, but he refused. I found myself thinking, how many of us have tried to placate a problem by offering the obvious and reasonable solution when God was using the problem to expose a bigger issue. Sometimes the easy way out isn't the best way out. Number two, she used the gifts that she had been given. When Esther learned what the real problem was, that her people were slated for annihilation, she had to choose to believe that what she had to offer was going to be enough. Isn't that the story of the five loaves and the two fishes? What they had to offer is what God used. We've all been given gifts that we can use if we really allow him to. These gifts can be anything, really. Some people have been given the gift of making money. Use it to extend the kingdom. We can't take it with us. You might be gifted in singing. Sing a new song to the Lord And bless his heart and let your heart be filled up. You might be an artist. Paint what you see. The world is not as ugly as sometimes we portray it. You might be someone who likes to help others. The ministry of helps is needed so much. Or someone who loves to research and use your findings to improve a situation, Tori. God has not separated our minds from our hearts And I'll plug for our equip class week two. That's where you get to learn about your gifts, some of your gifts and some of your talents and some of the things that, some of the ways that God has made you and figure out how to utilize those things. So if you haven't yet taken our equip class, I encourage you to do so. Three, she asked the right questions. When something hard we're going through makes us question God or his plan, the why question often doesn't yield the answer we are looking for. Instead, we should ask, what? God, what are you trying to do in this situation? What are you trying to do in me? And how do you want to use me to make this situation better? Esther didn't ask why this was happening. Instead, she began to ask, how can this situation be changed? Then we see that her character gave her favor. Esther's gift was that she was a beauty. But maybe that wasn't all of who she was. If the story told us that the king was the only one that thought she was amazing, we might think he was just a shallow man who wanted a trophy wife. But the attendants loved Esther. She was given favor and she was given special attention from those who spent time with her and cared for and served her. Beauty alone doesn't do that for us. Beauty alone. We've all known beautiful people who once we got to know them, we really didn't care to hang around with them. I think Esther was nice, and she treated others with respect, which in turn (coughs) earned her respect. The fifth thing that I saw in this is she overcame her fear to do what had to be done. At first, she made excuses when Mordecai told her she needed to go to the king. She explained to Mordecai that I can't just march in to the palace and tell him what's going on. And through that, he was going to learn that she was a Jew. What if the king was having a bad day? What if he was irritated by the interruption and didn't hold out his scepter to her? She would have been put to death. I'm pretty sure that these thoughts were running through her mind, and her heart was probably racing when she stood inside the king's courtyard. I'm pretty sure she felt fear, but she overcame her fear to do what had to be done, and she was given favor because of her obedience. Then she used the authority she had because she knew who she was in God. She approached the king, and she trusted God for the outcome. If I perish, I perish. She lived out her purpose. So how do we live out in God's will and purpose for our own lives? One, we got to realize that we were created on purpose for a purpose, and sometimes that purpose doesn't make sense in the natural We want to discover who we are in Christ. We need to know the promises he declares in his word over us and then act on them. We want to align our values and our missions with God's values and missions. We need to ask the question, what is important to you, God? We want to identify our talents and our passions. What's in our hand currently? What's available to us that God can use? And we want to continually ask God for clarity in aligning ourselves with God's purpose, we need to keep asking, we need to keep seeking, and we need to keep knocking because he will answer, he will show us, and he will open the door for us. Esther declared, when this is done, I will go to the king, and if I perish, I perish. I'll do what I need to do. I'm here to do it. Lastly, she showed up for the task at hand. At the beginning of this church, our good friend Rick Green gave those listening to his message the opportunity to use a gift that we all have, the gift of showing up. God can only use those who show up to be used. So here's what would have happened if Esther hadn't shown up. If Haman had succeeded in his plot, the Jewish people as a whole would have been destroyed. The story of God's saving work in and through Abraham's descendants would have come to an end. There would have been no fulfillment in Christ. And therefore, there would have been no gospel and no Christian church. That's a big role that she played, isn't it? Esther proved that we can all move past self-preservation and become self-sacrificing. Her willingness to self-sacrifice saved an entire Jewish race and was instrumental in the birthing of the church today. The bottom line, we all have a part to play, and our lives are not our own. We were bought with the price of the blood of Jesus. And we all want to know that we've made a difference in our world around us. We might not be the ones who save an entire race of people. But like the starfish story, if we can save the one, we should do it. Proverbs 16.4 tells us that the Lord has made everything for its purpose. Everything means you and me. And Romans 12.1 tells us how to start it. He's, the, Romans 12.1 says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. So what do I want you to take away from this message? I want you to realize that every one of us are here for such a time as this. You just might not realize it yet. If you're already a believer and follower of Jesus, you have access to knowing your purpose because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Believe me, I'm like you. I've often questioned my purpose. Am I really making any difference? But when I take time to listen to the Holy Spirit's voice, it becomes clear. When my prayer is, I want to live in your purpose and your presence and do your will for my life today. I know God is cheering me on because that is his heart for me. The details will reveal themselves if I will live in that surrendered space. We're told to draw close to God, and he will draw close to us. In James 4, 8, and we want to let him know that we want to know his purpose and his heart for us. So there are some things pertaining to his purpose for us that apply to all of us. Three scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 tells us that God wants us to live a pure life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us to trust God from the bottom of our heart. Don't try and figure it out on your own. Listen for God's voice, and he will reveal it. In Matthew 22:37, 37, Jesus tells us to love the Lord our God and love others as well as we love ourselves. These are scriptures that are for all of us. So if you wonder where to start, good place to start. If you haven't yet begun the journey of getting to know Jesus, you can't begin to know your purpose because we only discover our purpose when we start living for him. If you know Jesus, you need to begin or keep asking him to show you his purpose. I want you to know Jesus. So if you don't yet know Jesus, I want that to change today. Let's all stand together as we close. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment by raising your hand and praying with all of us. I'm inviting you into a better life path. But even more important, God is inviting you. So if your heart is beating a little bit faster, or even without that, with every eye closed, I'm asking you, are you ready to discover your purpose by asking Jesus to come into your heart? On the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. And if you're at home watching, I'm inviting you to pray this prayer with us. So one, two, three. If that's you, will you raise your hand? Will you raise your hand so that we can pray with you so that you can begin this life of knowing who Jesus is? So let's all pray this prayer together. I have one, two, three people who raise their hand. Let's pray this together. Father God, thank you for loving me even before I recognize your love for me. Thank you for forgiving me for everything, past, present, and future, even though I don't deserve it. Today, I want to begin to know you better. I'm asking you into my heart Forgive me of all my sins. Come into my life and show me what it looks like for you to be my Savior, my boss, and my friend. I'm excited for what's ahead because now I get to begin to know my purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Give him a clap. As we sing our closing song, I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come on up. And um, if you receive Jesus for the first time, or if you're just questioning what is my purpose, and you would like someone to pray with you, can I just invite you to come on up? Remember, if we draw close to God, he'll draw close to us. Come on up while we sing this last song.